I'm your host, Larry Frank, and once again, a great, great show for you. In a few moments, we're going to have Zach Berman, who covers the Philadelphia Eagles for the Athletics, joining us. And then a little bit later in the show, Dan Walken, who is a national columnist of USA Today. He covers college football, he covers basketball, covers all the big stories in the world of sports. So he'll be with us a little bit later in the show. Um, for those of you who missed yesterday's episode, you need to go back and listen to that terrific episode we had. Uh, we had uh, Bradley Lewis Walker from the Walker Report and the Sunshine State Sports Jabber was on yesterday. We also had Ty Richardson, the host of The Morning Rush, here in Arkansas on ESPN Radio. He was on, and then last night we did a special event with Jiho Yu, who covers uh, the Korean, Korean Baseball League over in Seoul, South Korea. And just a great, great day, and just another great day planned for you as well. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking to Zach a lot about football, obviously, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Then we'll talk to Dan in regards to some of the situations going on with sports continuing. You know, we haven't heard any later latest information, really, on what's happening and what's hap not happening in the world of sports. You know, you hear little rumbles about the NBA in Orlando. You hear little rumblings about... Uh, the NHL and their 2014 format uh, getting started in July. And then, of course, all the negative stuff going around uh, Major League Baseball. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, both of our guests today. But I would definitely want to ask, um, you know, Dan about Major League Baseball and get his opinion on that. Because... You know, like we said on yesterday's episode and the episode before, it's a really, really tough situation here. And this is the situation is, you know, you'll hear people that say all oh, these millionaire players that crying over money when thousands and thousands of people are losing jobs because of the coronavirus. And that is a true point. Nobody wants to hear right now them complaining about money. Whether they're right or wrong, people just don't want to hear it. It gives baseball a bad look. It tarnishes the game. And it's going to have long repercussions if they don't figure this out behind closed doors. Baseball has a way of using the media like no other sport. Like no other sport. And sometimes they just need to learn on both sides to be quiet do it behind doors, and once you come up with a compromise and a plan, go ahead and reveal it. But, you know, this this fighting and bickering at a time where America doesn't want to hear it is just a very, very bad look. And, you know, I understand the players agreed at one point we'll cut our salaries in half. 
Now Major League Baseball is saying we're going to lose more money because there's no fans in the stands, there's no concessions, there's no parking, so on and so on and so on. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here again today and debate who's right and who's wrong, but if Major League Baseball wants fans, and when I'm talking fans, you know, we're not expecting fans in the stands. We heard our G.O. You on last night's interview say that there's still no fans in Korea. You know, they have to watch the games on TV. And that's what's going to happen here. We're going to have to watch the games on the local affiliates or the ESPNs or the MLB network. And right now, if baseball don't get their crap together, people are going to say, screw you, baseball. We're sick of you. We don't want to hear about this. We'll go ahead and watch the NBA um, in the playoffs, we'll watch the NHL and screw you guys because you don't hear about all that bickering right now in the NBA and the NHL. So they're not getting a bad taste in their mouth. You know, and I think the great thing about the NHL, and I, I really give Gary Bettman a lot of credit, is that he's only giving out factual information. In other words, they have a plan in place. He's revealing they have a plan in place. They know it's going to be 24 teams. He's revealing it's going to be 24 teams. They know it's only going to be in a couple of hub cities. Okay, he's revealing that these are the cities they're deciding between. He's not giving out information that says, we may do this, we may do that. No, everything with Gary Bettman and the NHL and the players and the and the proposal they have is concrete. And that's the difference between the NHL and Major League Baseball. You don't hear players coming out and saying, oh, we're not playing for this, oh, we're not playing for that. And you don't hear that in the NBA either. It's Major League Baseball, like I said earlier, that uses the media to try to gain. Now... I'm not going to sit here and tell you someone like Cole Hamels is wrong, you know, when he's upset. And he has a right to be upset, whether we think it's right or wrong. You know, to go from $32 million to $9 million, the average fan out there is going to say, well, he's still making $9 million. Well, that is true. But he was told he would make $32 million. It doesn't sound like a lot of money to someone not making millions of dollars. But, you know, think about it logically. That is what? A $23 million difference. That's a lot of money. So now, in all fairness, there are a lot of people losing money out there. And we can argue that point with Cole. And I'm just using Cole's name as an example, he has not come out and said anything, but you have to understand from their perspective, there's a lot of money on their sides being lost too. Um, you know, and the one thing about baseball, and once again, we heard this in the interview last night with Jiho Yu, like in Korea, they don't have a union. So basically, you be quiet, you do what the owners say, or they'll find somebody else to play. Well, in Major League Baseball, we have a union. So the union decides everything, and it's not like these owners can just say, screw you, 
uh, we'll get somebody else. You get the Players Association involved, the union involved, and it becomes a whole mess. Now, and momentarily, we're going to have uh, Zach Berman joining us. He covers the Philadelphia Eagles uh, for the Athletics. So we'll be back in one moment with Zach Berman. Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale, my motivational tip of the day is dealing with tough times. You know, people in life, we all have tough times. How one deals with those tough times separates the person that's going to make it and the person that's not going to make it. So when things get tough, you have two choices. One, you can whine and cry and moan about what's happened in terms of things not being really giving you that positive outlook. Or number two, you can pick up the pieces of that tough times and battle and battle on. There's that saying, you've heard it often, a quitter never wins and a winner never quits. And when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that's what a champ is. And I know you people out there that are listening here want to be champs. Champs in whatever you do in life. So fight on. Give your best. Pursue it to the best of your ability. And don't any, let anyone ever tell you you can't be what you want to be. Make that goal realistic and chase it to the best of your ability. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. It is my great honor, thrill, and pleasure to have on our Frankly Speaking Sports hotline. He covers the Philadelphia Eagles for the Athletic. Please welcome Zach Berman. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for being on. Hey, Zach, let me ask you this. You know, at a time, an unfortunate time in our country's history with this COVID-19 and everything where a lot of the sportscasters, a lot of the sports writers uh, have been relatively slow because of the cancellations of, you know, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball so far. For an NFL reporter such as yourself, it's actually been, you know, overall a pretty busy couple of months, hasn't it? Yes, relatively speaking, certainly. You know, the uh, in, in terms of the timing, it's the off season, obviously. Uh, so, and they still had free agency. They still had the draft. So everything went on mostly as scheduled. You know, there were adjustments. You you obviously aren't doing in person interviews. Uh, you would typically go to the league meetings in March, and 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 those didn't occur. But by and large, in terms of in terms of free agency, in terms of the draft. Now let me ask you a question before we get into some of the football and the and the Eagles and stuff. You know, over I mean I can't remember how many years now. You know, when you talk about Philadelphia fans, they they attend from other people's perspective to be probably the toughest fans in the uh, in the nation in professional sports. What is it about Philadelphia fans that you know people get that perception? when you win 
and it's probably a difficult place to play in times when you lose. Um, and you know, there, there's, there's no apathy here. Uh, there's, there's no ignorance here. You know, it's they're, they're, they're passionate. They want to know what's going on. They're involved. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, in terms of it being a tough place to play, I often say, you know, the, the players, the coaches, the executives, they're the ones who, who, who dictate how the fans are feeling. When they're winning, the fans are happy. When they're losing, the fans aren't. Um, so if you want the fans to be happy, you win more games. It's that simple. Yeah, and you know, last year, here's a team that, you know, they win their division, the NFC East, they go 9-7, and seven. they, I believe they lost in the first round in the wild card game, but that's not enough in Philadelphia, is it? Well, I mean, everything needs to be taken relative to the circumstances. I mean, they, they kind of limped their, their way into the postseason. Uh, so it was an accomplishment getting there, considering where they were at the beginning of December. But based on what the expectations were going into the season, uh, certainly not the case. Um, so, you know, I, I can't speak for the fans. You know, I mean, and, and every fan is different in, 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 in terms of what their expectations of the team were and, and what's acceptable. Uh, but I, I do think getting to the playoffs uh, was an achievement, considering where they were at the beginning of, of, of December. Right. Now, you I mean, really, you can't put any blame on Carson Wentz. I mean, you know, the guy had a, you know, was, I think, what, he played every game last year. So, you know, all those questions about injuries and stuff were answered. Then he goes out, he throws for, you know, over 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. I mean, not a bad year for the guy. No, it, it wasn't, you know, and, and, and he was playing with a decimated group of, of, of wide receivers, too, and, you know, the offense was, was really banged up, and he turned it on late in the year. Now, you know, there was a stretch in, in November when Carson wasn't playing well, and I think Carson would, would tell you that, too. Uh, but he did, he, he, he did turn it on, and you look at the season overall, he had a good year, and I think, uh, you know, another year of health, another year in the system, uh, you know, with different players around him, uh, there's there's certainly reasons to be optimistic about Carson Wentz. Now talk about the draft a little bit. I know obviously they went after immediate uh, offensive need with the wide receiver and Jalen Rieger out of TCU. You're from a you know what was your perspective of the Eagles' uh, 2020 draft? Uh, you know I I thought that they had a really good day three. I thought they had a volume and. Uh, they had some intriguing prospects there. I I don't object to the Jalen Rager pick. I think he's a good player. Now I you know I, I I did think that Justin Jefferson was an intriguing option there and, and would have made a lot of sense. But I I know that that the Eagles were looking for a little more explosiveness there, and, and so that's what they got with with Rager. Uh, the the Jalen Hurts pick in the second round. I understood kind of the philosophy behind it. Um, I, I I disagreed with the execution of it. I didn't think this was a year for a luxury pick, and I, I don't know if Jalen Hurts is like a, a surefire uh, quarterback. They, 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 they mean that like a surefire future franchise quarterback or the type of player that that you can't pass up. But you know, he he he, he does have a lot of potential. He does have a lot of intangibles that they like. 
so I, I can understand that pick intellectually and in, in, in terms of thought process behind it. But, you know, if I was Howie Roseman, I'd probably, I'd probably go in a different direction. Yeah, we're talking to Zach uh, Berman. He covers the Philadelphia Eagles for the Athletic. You know, I look at this and I don't understand this situation. And maybe you can uh, add light to it because... You know, I, I follow you on Twitter. I look at, you know, some of the tweets and the articles. What's the deal with this Jeffrey, um, is it Alshon? Is that how you pronounce it? The receiver Alshon, over there that yes. seems to badmouth Carson Wentz and stuff like that. I mean, is is he ever going to see another snap with the uh, Eagles? Yeah, my guess is as, as, as long as he's healthy, he will. You know, now he's, he's recovered from a, a major injury. You know, he had a Liz Frank surgery. Um, and, you know, for a, a wide receiver, uh, that takes a, a lot to, to recover from. Um, that being said, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Alshon's going to play again for the Eagles as long as he's healthy. Okay, now, they still need some help at the receiver. Um, do you see anybody that might be available out there that they may go after? A wide receiver, no. You know, I think they have the numbers that they're looking for there. You know, they they uh, they had a four players draft weekend. Um, they still have have uh, they have Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, JJ. I think a white side, Greg Ward. Um, so I I I actually think that they have more depth at that position than they have spots. You can argue whether it's quality depth or not. Uh, but you know, I I think they're going to have some some tough cuts on the back end there. Uh, so uh, I think that there's a handful of positions that they would look upgrade before wide receiver. Are you comfortable with their running game, Zach? If Miles Sanders is healthy, yes. Miles Sanders is a, is a, is a really talented running back who continues to get better. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's entering his, his second year. Uh, now, they don't have a lot of proven depth behind him. I, I know they really do like, like Boston Scott. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing to consider. But, um no, if, if if they can get a veteran at a good price, I think it would, it would be a sensible place to look. Yeah, and you know this guy Sanders. I mean, he now he was just shy of a uh, thousand yards. I think he had like a little over eight hundred yards rushing. So you know everything we're hearing about this guy is they that the Eagles really like him. Yeah, I mean, there's there's. A, a lot to like, obviously. You know, as 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 a rookie, four and a half, four point six yards per carry. I think I think eight hundred plus yards, three touchdowns. He he caught fifty catches, uh, five hundred nine receiving yards, three touchdowns. There, dynamic player, uh, really the best running back they've had in a long time, and it'll it'll be a featured back for them this year. So. A lot to like with him. Now, you know, that division, if you just leave the Redskins maybe out for a minute, but the Giants and the Cowboys have both gotten better during the offseason. And you know the Cowboys' explosive offense. I mean, what do the Eagles need to improve on this year to re-win that division? Well, uh, I'm saying healthy is a big part of it. You know, they, they, they've had some... Some some health issues in 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 in, in recent years. Uh, offensively, you know they need some of these young guys to develop. Whether it's Jalen Rager, whether it's JJ, I think a white side. Uh, you know the, the offensive line. They they're, they're fighting the age curve there. I, I think they're okay, but they're really counting on the left side on Andre Dillard making a big step up this season. Uh, and then on 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 defense, you know they it's 
It's built around their pass rush. Uh, they need a strong pass rush. They, they've invested a, a lot of money into that spot. Darius Slay, they acquired him to be the, the, the number one cornerback. They, they need him to play like that. And they, they need to hope that there's not a major drop-off from Malcolm Jenkins. Let me ask you, and I'm sure, you know, but in that division, is it basically just the Cowboys that you see giving them issues? Or, you know, a lot of people are saying that the Giants just have, it's one of those scary teams. You know, you don't look at the Giants and say they're going to win the division. But if you look at the team that they're putting together down uh, up there in New York, I mean, that's another talented team in that division. So, you know, three of those four teams are very difficult. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I, I certainly look at, at, at Cowboys as, as, as kind of the Eagles' top contender there. Uh, with New York and Washington, you know, you're looking at second-year quarterbacks. You expect a jump from, from year one to year two. Uh, but, you know, there are there are unproven players um, in, in the case of Daniel Jones and, and Dwayne Haskins. Uh, you know, I, I think the Giants have some intriguing weapons. Obviously, Saquon Barkley, they've upgraded their offensive line this offseason. Um, you know, I, I still think there are a lot of questions on, on defense, especially with their pass rush uh, and, and even their, you know, their, their corners as well. Um, and then Washington, I, I love that defensive line. I, I think they're, they're really going to cause some trouble up front. Um, they have some, 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 some questions on the offensive line, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think those two teams, it depends how the new coaching staff does, how the second-year quarterbacks do. Uh, but I, I do think the Eagles and the Cowboys are the top two teams in the division. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. We're talking to Zach Berman. He covers the Philadelphia Eagles for the Athletic. Um, you know, we talked offense here a lot. What about the defensive side of the ball for the Eagles? What What are your expect expectations? You know, they were middle of the pack defense last year in the NFL. What's your expectations for that defense this year? Yeah, I mean, I I think middle of the pack, you know, in that in that maybe number seven and then the number fifteen category. You know, I, I don't think they're a top five defense. Uh, I, I I don't think they're a, a bottom of a bottom third of the NFL defense. You know, I I think that uh, their their defensive line has some intriguing options. You know, they 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 added Javon Hargrave in free agency to go with Fletcher Cox and Malik Jackson. That's a really good group on the interior. I think they can use some help on the edge. They're counting on development of some young players, but certainly at the top of the depth chart with Derek Barnett uh, and, and and Brandon Graham, you know, they have players there. Uh, you know, and, and then the, the back end, Darius Slade, the best cornerback they've had in a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they let Malcolm Jenkins go. I personally think that was a mistake. They're, they're, they're going to miss him. Um, but, you know, they're they're counting on, on guys like uh, Will Parks, Jalen Mills, perhaps even Kayvon Wallace to step in there. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that their defense is better than it was last season. Uh, you know, and I, I, I think that linebackers still a big question, but this isn't an organization that traditionally values linebackers. All right. Now, before we let you go, last question here, and I put you on the spot. I know it's early. Well, what? Not even in June yet. But what's your prediction for this team this year? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because I, I literally haven't seen them practice yet, you know. So, right. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, new players, obviously. Uh, there's some changes in the scheme. 
you you kind of want to see that before you can put an educated opinion out there. You know, just just kind of uh, scratching together, looking at the schedule. I, I think this is a team that, you know, uh, nine and seven, ten and six, uh, probably between, you know, let's say eight and eleven wins. All right, um, and and uh, you know, depending on injuries, depending on a few other factors, I, I think they're a playoff caliber team. Uh, you know, certainly now that you have the extra wild card, I, I think that's advantageous because you're in a division with a team like Dallas. But I think they're going to be competing with with Dallas for the NFC East. Uh, and if I had to pick which team right now, I would go with the team that has continuity in terms of the coaching staff and the team with an uncertain offseason. I think that can be an advantage. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I would give them the edge there. They're, you know, The other three teams in the NFC East all have new head coaches um, and you know have, have made some changes there. Uh, so I, I would go with the Eagles or the Cowboys in the NFC East, but I think they're both playoff caliber teams. All right, Zach, I want to thank you so much for joining us, taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us on Frankly Speaking Sports today. I really enjoyed it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, sir. Be safe. Okay. That was Zach Berman. He covers the Philadelphia Eagles for The Athletic. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I want to remind you all that if you want to see any of our past interviews, or for example, the interview we just did with Zach Berman, who covers the Eagles for the Athletics, or any of our future um, interviews that we do, like Dan Walken, which we'll be doing in a few minutes, you can go to our YouTube channel, Frankly Speaking Sports. When you go to Frankly Speaking Sports, It'll show you the football field. Go ahead, subscribe. The subscription is free. I repeat, the subscription is free. Go ahead and subscribe. You'll become a member and you'll get access to all the interviews, all the videos, all the audio that we do. So I want to make sure that you all uh, are definitely members of that. Also, follow me on Twitter. I know a lot of you that listen to this show have Twitter accounts. Just go to Twitter. Go ahead, Larry Frankis, at Larry Frankis. That's with the U.S. at the end. And follow us. Also, if you have not yet joined, please go and join to our Facebook group, Frankly Speaking Sports. Fastest growing sports group out there. Become a member. Invite your friends. The more, the merrier. I love talking sports, and I love it when I get more people involved. And talking about involvement, we did a poll uh, about five days ago, and the poll actually ended today, uh, although it is still on our Facebook group, about if the authorities allowed us into professional sporting events. Would you feel comfortable going right now under the, under the current circumstances? And basically, would you go to the games? Yes and no. And I was, I was actually pleasantly surprised by the number of people that said they would go. 75% of the voters said they would go to a game today if they were allowed to, while only 25% percent said no. Now, once again, I didn't break it down by how old is everybody that's voting, this and that, 
but from members of all groups that had voted, 75% of them said they would go to games. So, you know, I think people are starting to, you know, try to get out there and live some normalcy, you know, as much as they can with the current lifestyle that is being presented to us. And once again, and you know, we do this a lot, but I always say it's never enough as much as I'd like to thank all the doctors, the nurses, the paramedics, the CNAs, the grocery workers, the truckers, and I know I'm leaving a few out, so don't take it personal, but the great efforts and dedication and loyalty you made, not to just your profession, but to all the American people has just been unbelievable. And I cannot thank you enough for everything you do on a daily basis. So thank you very much. Now, we got to listen to Zach Berman. He was talking about the Eagles and, you know, it's going to be a tough year for the Eagles with those Cowboys. I mean, those Cowboys, and we've talked to, you know, our buddy Jeff Cavanaugh over there from Dallas-Fort Worth uh, who covers the Cowboys. And, you know, they got an exciting team over there in Dallas. I mean, you know, but I think the one point, and there's plenty of great points that Zach made, was that the continuity of the team, and I never, you know, I didn't really think about that at first. You think, I was thinking more in college sports about that, but if you think about it logically, you know, the Dallas Cowboys have not had a chance really, to, well, they haven't had a chance to work with their coach, you know, Mike McCarthy. So they got a new coach, a new system, a new offense from a system standpoint. They got a new defense from a system standpoint, and they haven't even been face-to-face -face with their coach yet. So from a continuity standpoint and knowing the system, you know, the Eagles could have the edge there. You know, and then not knowing what's going on with Dak Prescott as far as a contract goes, you never know. There is a chance that, uh, you know, he holds out. So a lot of questions in Dallas, but from a definite uh, talent standpoint, I think in that division, you got to give the edge to the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I've said this since the NFL draft, and I'm going to stick to it because I really believe it. I think the surprise team in the NFL this year could come out of the NFC East, and that's the New York Giants. I really think the New York Giants, on paper, they have a young team. Everybody knows about their receivers. They know about the running backs. Uh, they know about Daniel Jones, the quarterback. This is a young team that nothing seems to phase them. And, you know, they'll definitely go through bumps. But from emotionally, you know, they just believe they can go out there and let it fly and everything's going to fall in place. So those are really, really dangerous teams when you look at it on paper. So it's going to be an exciting year, and I, I can't wait till it gets underway.
Once again, we are just minutes away from Dan Walk and the national columnist of USA Today will be joining us live. So unbelievable guests again today. I want to remind you that we have some terrific guests coming up all throughout next week, and it continues tomorrow with Jeremy Schulman. Uh, Jeremy uh, has over, I think, 672 wins as a head coach in his career. He's now the head coach of Eastern Florida, where he just has an amazing collegiate record as well. And he's going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about junior college basketball a little bit. You know, how it relates to the NCAA and about some of these. I don't think people realize the type of quality that you have in junior college basketball. So just looking forward to another great, great show to end just what's been a terrific week here on Frankly Speaking Sports. Ladies and gentlemen, on the Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline, it's my pleasure to introduce to you the national columnist of USA Today. Let's welcome Dan Wolken. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm all right. How are you? I am doing great, Dan. Doing great. Hey, I, I want to talk to you a little bit. I know you cover a whole variety of sports for USA Today, and including college football, basketball, and so on. Um Talk about that day in March, you know, conference tournaments in college basketball are beginning to heat up. Uh, we're down to the nitty-gritty in the NBA, and then all of a sudden, with a wink of an eye, everything is stopped. What, what, what was your thoughts at that moment, and what has it been like the past few months without any live sports? Well, at least recently to any live sports. ever-changing story. Uh, you know, I was just trying to follow the news. Uh, it was pretty clear to me that, that we were kind of heading toward some unprecedented things at, at that very moment, just because, uh, I, you know, at that time, there were stories about congressmen and senators who were having to go into isolation for, for 14 days because they had come into contact with somebody who had the virus. And you know, and I, I sort of was thinking to myself, okay, well, in a sports context, you know, if this thing is, is growing and spreading as fast as, you know, it seems to be in the United States, then you're going to have a real problem in sports. And uh, it certainly came to be very quickly. And, and I was just trying to keep up with the news and, and trying to uh, you know, reach out to contacts and get answers to questions and all those things. So, um, you know, I, I was really, uh, you know, just kind of swimming in it. And, and it was a little bit surreal when the Rudy Gobert moment happened. But I think at that, at that point, it was pretty clear that we were going to have a, a pretty dramatic reckoning with, with this virus. And it, it continues on today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from a columnist standpoint, you know, now you look at the last two months and I said till recently, I know NASCAR just started back up, but how do you go about finding things to write about when nothing in the sports world is going on? Well, I mean, really, if you, if you look at it, uh, ever since mid-March, there's been just a pretty steady stream of news about what the leagues are going to do, what is happening on college campuses. Um, so while the games have stopped the news has not stopped. And 
obviously you have a whole side of, of athletes in various places. Uh, they have stories. They're in lockdown like everybody else. Um, you know, and, and for me, I spend a lot of time on the phone just talking to people in college sports, try to figure out, you know, what they're thinking, what they're planning, what they're um, – What's going to happen to their budgets? What's going to happen to their athletic departments? Is football going to start on time? You know, all these things really—they—they've uh, not slowed down. I mean, they—they they, to try to keep pace with all that really, really keeps you busy. Yeah, and you know, you think about the impact. You know, it's minute the impact it has on sports when you think of obviously the impact it's had on our entire nation and the world with you know people getting infected and people obviously passing away from the disease. But, you know, it's just amazing, you know, that, you know, how much you don't realize what I'm trying to say is how much on a daily basis that we rely on sports. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it's part of the, the culture and it's a big uh, thing that, that a lot of people from different walks of life uh, get into and and keep up with on a daily basis. and. Yeah, certainly when those games aren't happening, uh, it, it, there's a little bit of a void. You know, we, we miss March Madness, which is just an annual uh, thing that we all sort of count on. Uh, we missed uh, the Masters. We missed the Kentucky Derby. And, you know, some of these things are going to be rescheduled, uh, supposedly, but it, it's a new normal. And, and, yeah, I mean, when you don't have those things to talk about and uh, to obsess over, it, it, it's, it's sad in a sense. But on the other hand, you know, just sort of given the, the scale and the scope of, of this uh, tragedy, um, you, you know, I think everyone's, well, maybe not everybody, but, uh, you know, I think there's there's a lot of attention that, that needs to go to the, the really important things in life instead of, you know, just, you know, getting paid. Uh, Larry, I've got to say, I'm so sorry. I really need to take this call. Can, can I just reach back out to you real quick? Yep, Absolutely. Well, hopefully we'll go ahead and get Dan Walken back on here in a few minutes. Uh, so I guess sometimes when you're a national columnist, emergencies come up and you have to go. So we hope everything's okay there and that we have him back shortly. We do have Dan Walken from the national columnist of USA Today. He is back online with us. Uh, Dan, you know, we were talking about different things and you had mentioned about the colleges coming back briefly. And I want to ask you that question, you know, student athletes versus students. And it, it it's a big topic. And, you know, some, some university are saying, well, student athletes should be able to come back, but students may not be able to come back. See, I always thought of student athletes as students first, athletes second. What is your opinion of, you know, the student-athlete as far as it relates to, you know, the epidemic versus the actual students coming back? Well, people like to say students first, athletes second, but the reality is in practice at the highest level of college sports, it, it isn't that way. And you know it's not that way because uh, these college programs do everything they can to make sure that the athletes spend as much time as possible in the athletic facility. Um, some of them, you know, barely even have a physical class to go to. They spend most of their time doing 
classes online and the rest of their time uh, watching film in the weight room, um, doing other things at the football building, watching movies or whatever. Like they have, you know, entertainment and, and players lounges and all those things. So they have built this whole system around athletes spending almost every waking hour within the, the football bubble. So um, it's never really been students first, athletes second. Uh, but there's no doubt that when you talk to these school officials, the optics of football players being the only ones physically on campus this fall is, is a troubling uh, image for them and, and certainly one that leaves them legally uh, in a difficult position because the NCAA gets sued all the time for the amateur model, for not paying players, for not allowing this, for not allowing that. So, yeah, I, I, I think it would be hard to have a college season if there's not at least some regular students on campus. Now, you know, when this whole epidemic uh, suddenly began, everybody, and with rightly so, was talking about safety, safety, safety. And I'm not just talking in college sports now. I'm talking in sports in general, major league as well as college. Um, and they were talking about safety, safety, safety. Now, both you and I know the amount of money that is involved, um, both on the college side of sports and the uh, professional side of sports, if you don't have a season. And to me... And I could be wrong, and I once again, these are this is just my opinion, is that they're going now from safety, and it almost seems like now money's coming first. What is your opinion on that? Well, look, um, I understand that the colleges and the athletic departments are, are going to you know try to do their best to keep people safe. But at the same time, uh, there's no doubt that if you don't have a college football season, uh, then a lot of the enterprise college athletics goes under. Yes. Because you don't have that revenue. And so when you're operating under that kind of pressure, uh, you might make decisions or cut corners that are not in the best interest of the athlete. And when that happens... Uh, you have left yourself vulnerable to something really bad. I think a lot of what is happening with college sports is they're trying to put themselves on course to get their season going on time and to open back up, and they're doing it a lot on hope that nothing goes wrong. And maybe they'll be right about that, but may, there is also a good chance that, that they won't and that they won't be able to control, despite their best efforts, you know, the spread of the virus within their building. Um, and obviously that doesn't just include young players, but also coaches, support staff, more vulnerable people who, who are part of that whole ecosystem. So uh, bottom line to all of it is we just don't know what's going to happen. And, and we'll just see once these teams start getting back on campus. Yeah, and you know, we were, we had a gentleman on yesterday from, um, they had a unique way of testing it over there in Korea with the baseball league. I had him on uh, yesterday evening, and they actually sent the kids back to school before they opened up professional sports to see how it would relate to the children 
you know, spreading it so they could see how the athletes, which was kind of weird, but that's how they did it over there in Korea. So it was just something I thought was very interesting over there. Well, yeah, I mean, look, uh, everybody's had a different experience with this. Uh, and sort of like culturally, if you look at a place like Korea, a place like Japan, you know, where, where mask usage uh, was already kind of ingrained in the day-to-day culture anyway, uh, when people get sick, so it, that's not a huge departure. Uh, they've also had, you know, more experience with, uh, you know, epidemics and things like that. They, they you know, they, they dealt with SARS and those types of things. Uh, we have not as much. And, you know, certainly as our population is, is maybe a little bit more culturally resistant to, you know, things like mask usage and whatnot. So, um a lot of this is going to be very, very new. And we're going to learn a lot about how sports can co-mingle with with this situation. And and it's going to all unfold in real time. Now, how much of this, and I know that is definitely part of it, but, you know, you and I both know there's never going to be a right time. Because no matter when you do it, how you do it, you're always going to be criticized if something happens. And there's always going to be that chance of something happening. But, you know, how much is the fear factor playing a role on some of these uh, organizations coming back? Well, look, I think that you're balancing a lot of different things when you're talking about sports and, and COVID. Uh, you're trying to keep people safe. But you're also trying to run a business. Um, you know, you, you certainly have people who want to play. You have some who, who may be a little bit more hesitant. Um, this is a, a, a tricky virus. It's, it's new. We don't know what the long-term effects are. But, you know, most people seem to recover. Um, there are some bad cases, some really bad cases. It, there's just a lot of different interests in this. And, and it's not like anything else that we, we've seen. So... Um, you know, a lot of it just kind of comes down to uh, how comfortable individuals feel. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, it, you can't really have a, a one, you know, it, we're not a monolithic population here. And, uh, uh, you know, as, as these leagues start to come back and put together their plans for, for playing games, whether it's the NBA or Major League Baseball or college or whatever, there's, there's going to be a, a, a whole wide spectrum of how people feel about it. Now, it's about a week, a little over a week away from some of these colleges actually opening up their facilities for, um, you know, a limited number of athletes and stuff. Um, based on what you know today, is there going to be a college football season? certainly uh, would reserve the possibility that things just go horribly wrong as you start to bring people back and, and that that turns into a real setback. Uh, that could happen. But, you know, I think that uh, there is an imperative to play college football. And so most of these schools are going to give it a try, you know, and, and we'll see what happens as the season unfolds and whether it's sustainable, whether there's a big wave that that 
you just can't really overcome, uh, whether there's fans in the stands or not. I mean, there's a lot of different tentacles to it, but will there be college football games played? I, I tend to think there will. Now, can – I mean, and I'm talking about the Power 5 schools now. Can they make it without fans from a financial standpoint? Because I know a lot of these schools – I mean, I look at the swamp down in Florida, for example, you know, uh, Death Valley and Clemson. I mean, they sell out their stadiums. That's 80,000, 90,000 people, a home game there. So a lot of that revenue comes from that gate. Can they, even without fans, can they survive? So the big schools, uh, like, you know, the SEC schools that, that pack out 80,000, 90,000-seat stadiums, you know, you start to lose that ticket revenue. That, that's a lot of money. Yes. Uh, now, you know, could they do it for a year Maybe, um, but it, it's a big hit. You know, for some for some schools, honestly, that don't make a lot on attendance anyway. Um, you know, in some ways, that's that's a little bit more survivable. But uh, yeah, I, I you know, it, it's a it's a huge amount of money. Um, there's obviously television revenue that, that is kind of the the foundation, and and a lot of these schools. Uh, if they lost that money, it would be absolutely catastrophic. But yeah, I mean, if you if you're used to selling, you know, ninety thousand, a hundred thousand seats for seven home games, and and you are only able to sell maybe ten thousand tickets a game instead, I mean, that's that's pretty massive revenue loss. Yeah, it de- definitely is. We're talking to Dan Walken, national columnist of the USA Today. Uh, Dan, let's go just switch our gear, and then we'll let you go here. Uh, to professional sports. You know, you hear the NHL, they have a plan in place. Whether when, when it will be executed, of course, we'll find out. The NBA, you listen to them, they're talking about Orlando, and, you know, they seem to, at least with Adam Silva over there, you know, pretty much have things where they want to be for at least the moment. But you get to Major League Baseball, and you're listening to all this bickering and all this crap about, you know, who's right, who's wrong at a time in the nation where we have thousands and thousands and thousands of people either being laid off, losing jobs, whatever. How much with this bickering do you feel Major League Baseball is tarnishing their name? And this kind of comes up every time there's a labor dispute with pro sports. And I, I think most regular folks uh, kind of look at it like, you know, these athletes are, are rich and privileged. And why aren't they just getting out and playing for the love of the game so that we can be entertained? But I, it's way more complicated than that. I mean, these guys have, you know, very unique uh, in-demand skills. And, and frankly, the owners are way wealthier than the players. So, you know, I think you also have to look at why why are they, you know, entitled to, to not take a hit on, on all of this, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's complicated. And look, if you're a baseball player and you, you know, you've got millions and millions of dollars in the bank and, and you're faced with a situation where the, the owners want you to come back for, you know, a force of what's in your contract and you're taking somewhat of a risk by, by playing and traveling and doing all the things associated with baseball. And, uh, you know, and, and 
it potentially opens you up long term to um, reset the salary market when things get back to normal. I can understand why players might be hesitant of that. I mean, they they this is their livelihood, and and uh, they have a uh, they have their you know revenue to protect. So, um, you know, ultimately, I think people end up in a situation like this. You know, each sort of giving a little bit and coming to an agreement. Uh, but you know, I don't think it's necessarily fair for for the rest of us to to judge um, these players because they don't necessarily want to play an 80-game season for 25% of, of what's in their contract. Well, not just that, but, you know, they did have an agreement in place at one time where they would take, I think it's 50, you know, you play half a season, we're going to prorate your contract to half a season, and in no means am I sticking up, trust me, for the onus here. You know, you take a guy like Cole Hamels, he's losing over $20 million off his contract, because of the new proposal. But, you know, my question to you is, the owners cannot be stupid. They know these plans aren't going to work. But it seems like for some reason, and I could be wrong, you're in the media, so you would know a lot more than me. But it seems like more than any other sport that the Major League Baseball owner's side of things tries to use the media more than any other sport. And what I mean by that is they reveal more information that isn't necessary to reveal. Like if you look at the NBA, they get a plan in place. They don't talk about it till they have it concrete. The NHL, uh, NBA, both of them. Major League Baseball will put in this proposal. You can't tell me in in these owners' mind that they could actually say they're going to give this proposal and they know that it's, they got to know it's going to be denied. Yeah, um, it's a negotiation, and it's the way a lot of negotiations go. You start at a unreasonable position, and then you end up, you know, coming more to the middle. Uh, I don't know how this negotiation is going to play out, uh, and you know, certainly there's there's a chance that that it's an impasse. I mean, it's happened before in baseball, so we'll just have to see what happens, but. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't get too heated one way or the other when you're in the middle of a negotiation, uh, because things are said and put out publicly that are that are that sound sort of hard line, but don't necessarily reflect the reality of what uh, of what a realistic agreement would be. Now, last question before I let you go, Dan. Do they come to an agreement, and if so, when do you think that would be? Well, I think it would be in the next few weeks. I mean, you know, you do have some time limitations. Uh, if you're going to start the season, you know, in mid-late July, uh, you, you got to kind of get moving to, to some extent. Um, so, you know, I think things will I think things will happen pretty quick over a couple-week period. All right. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us, Dan, today on uh, Frankly Speaking Sports. And do me a favor, make sure you stay safe out there. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Have a great day. That was Dan Walken, national columnist of USA Today. We'll be back right after this. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. Just another terrific interview. You know, Dan Walken, very well-known national columnist of USA Today. Want to once again remind all of you, you can listen to all these interviews on our YouTube channel. You go to YouTube, Frankly Speaking Sports. Subscribe. It is free. Don't worry about it. Hit the subscribe button. You will be a member of our sports channel and you will get to see all previous and future interviews that we do. Also, go to our Frankly Speaking Sports page on Facebook, one of the fastest growing groups for the latest updates on all the news in the world of sports, plus our podcast, plus our interviews. Also, follow us on Twitter, at Larry Frankis. So if you all want to go ahead, do that. You can follow us on Twitter as well. want to thank you all for joining us today, and we'll see you tomorrow on another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. Thank you.